0: Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Before we begin, a massive thank you to however you are listening to this. I'm Ben James. And last week, I promised some reaction to Wales' Six Nations triumph. It's a little later than planned this episode. But we've spoken to two key men in Wayne Pivak's Wales team for the past year to try and get an idea of how they went from a miserable 2020 to minutes away from a grand slam. A little later on in the episode, we'll be hearing from fly half Callum Sheedy. But first up, we've spoken to Hadley Parks on what things were like early on in Pivak's reign. Now, if you do enjoy this podcast, make sure to rate it and leave a review. But anyway, let's go on with the podcast. Here's the chat with Hadley. What have your thoughts been on on how it's gone on the way and obviously the autumn was a, a tough time for him but you know you always play stock in the fact that he was blood in youngsters and, and now you know he's sort of reaping the rewards isn't he
1: yeah I think and there's a transition period and new coaches coming in and I think that's happened for a new few teams as well but look um I think they've, they've scored some good tries they've got bonus points in, in a lot of the games and you know? I think almost all of the games so yeah. Um so yeah, it's, 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 you've got to be happy with that as well and, and, and to put 40 points on um, on England too, which is quite nice. So uh, it's been good, you know, they're just putting some good performances together and, and scoring some good tries. Um, I think some, some players coming back have really helped out too um, and, and they look like they're just enjoying it and they, what has been probably quite a hard... Time and a difficult campaign with coronavirus, and how you have to be in your bubbles and everything. I'm unsure how it is all over there at the moment with, um, with how it was all run, but all the teams are in the same boat there. And so and it's just trying to, I guess, how best you cope with that circumstance. And, and it looks like Wales is doing extremely well under that. And look, I'm like the Watch Public, I'm just stoked that the boys have uh, got those W's and they're doing well. And, and winning, and, and I like, think um, you, you can be proud of them.
0: And also you know, you played under Wayne at the Scarlet, and you were involved in the Six Nations last year. What, what was that first camp like, the Six Nations last year? You know, how, how did Wayne come in, and, and what did he do? What did he change?
1: It wasn't um, it wasn't a huge amount of change, really. Um, I think just because, like, the, the score was relatively similar to, to what had been under... Um, and the, and the Warren, and, and, and look, there, there wasn't a huge amount of difference between game plans, really, to be honest with you. But, uh, look, uh, he didn't change too much. Um, and then, unfortunately, we just we just didn't get quite we, – we got uh, maybe an island if, if the try had been a try, we knocked it on over the line. And then France as well, we had our chances there. It was a, a, an intercept, which, you know, like we, it could have been a 14-point – Swing there almost like we're, and so you just like you get a couple of those results, and it could have been a different story. So, um, look, it, it's uh, it, it, I think it does take time, and, and they look like they had made little subtle changes to the way that they're playing now, but um, it seems to be working and it's working well, which is good. So, um,
0: along that, what was the, the, the mood like in camp? Because everyone always assumes when Wales are losing that. You know, that there's a mutiny on on <laughs> on the cards which is never never really the case, is it? But I, I you know, it, it seems to me like even even in the autumn, it just looked like things, you know, weren't going well in terms of results. But it it seemed like a happy camp behind the scenes. Yeah, no, it
1: is. Like the boys are all um they're all outstanding. Boys are well. You know, it's a class management um team. Um, with like not not just the coaches, but all the physio, the, the medical staff, and the training, their strength and the conditioning, the analysis team, like everyone, you know, they get everyone gets on really well. You get well looked after at the veil There, but it, it is a great, you know, environment to be in, and um, you get well looked after. Um, like in terms of like. Um, the, the, the chef is uh is second to none. He's he's outstanding there too, Andre. Um, you know, one of the best signings I think that I've had. so <laughs> uh, uh, no matter what happens, like everyone gets on pretty well, which is quite good. So um and they seem like they're having a great time. And, like, we're having a good time in and, and the environment's
0: good at the moment. No, I remember when hearing about Dan Lydia getting injured at the start of the tournament, he basically I think he stayed on for the Sunday night just so we could have one last meal.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> in camp Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you find the other Wales coaches who came out? Uh, you know, I just think Stephen, obviously, Stephen worked at the World Cup as well, yeah. so he, he's had a little bit longer. How, how was he during that sort of time in Japan and then in the Six Nations in terms of implementing his ideas?
1: Um, he was good. I like, think, uh, he, he came in and and really, um, he was really good during the World Cup. Like, it was a bit kind of a tough situation for him to come into, but. Um, it was nice that a lot of us had a, a bit of a relationship too before that. So um, look, he's done um, very well there, and, and then it continued to do well. And you know, I think the boys enjoyed playing under him. Um, he's certainly he, he's done a lot in the jersey as well as a player. So um, so he's certainly got their respect as a player. And then, uh, and then Giffen, um, you know, it looks like he's doing a great job there too with, um, with, with the defence. Um, you know, it certainly looks like, so reading what people are saying, he's doing a great job. So i um, absolutely stoked for him. And, and then Humphreys, I didn't have too much to do with John. Um, <laughs> uh, I try and leave the dark arts to the big boys. So, um, yeah, it was good. It sounds like he's doing well. Um, he's enjoying it. And I, I just, all I know about Humphreys is he wasn't very good at cleaning the coffee machine. So um, hopefully he's improved
0: on that now. He just wanted you at the end. So it's the end of the line, right. hit, hit, hit it up in midfield. Yeah. <laughs> first, first phase. Because <laughs> like I remember at the World Cup, like the the Australia game, the, the, the snap drop goal at the start of the match. That felt like that was something that came... Straight off the training paddock, I didn't know whether that was Stephen or whether that was Dan driving that, but it just felt like that was something that, had, that was clearly planned.
1: Um, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know if it was. Um you know, I don't. Uh, I think uh, do we get the advantage straight away? We, we turned it over, and I think my I advantage advantage. Yeah. I, I can't actually remember To yeah, you know, Bigsey just went and did it, and it. I think it was just about trying to get points on them early and just get a, get off to a good start. And and we managed. I think Aaron Mainwright got a turnover or did a good tackle and, and and we cleaned past it. And then and then it might have been Ken Owens or yeah. But um, and then Biggsy took the drop kick and, and it just got us off to a great start. So um, look, I think Biggsy will probably be enjoying having Steve as as his coach and, and playing under him too. So
0: yeah. I guess what what all the sort of coaches did well at the Scarlets and now doing well at Wales, like Wayne and stuff like that. In terms of its delegating responsibility onto the players, I think Rhys Patchell spoke about a couple of weeks ago that, you know, at the Scarlets, that, that that Pro 12 winning season, you know, the players basically dictate what goes on on the field. And and it becomes this thing where you, you build on momentum and you almost start to believe that you're just going to keep on winning. I guess we're, we're seeing that with Wales at the minute, aren't we?
1: No. Well, There's it, only so much coaches can do as well. So they're, they're, they're doing all, obviously a lot of analysis work and helping you out during the week and, and coaching. But when it comes to the game, they're obviously, like, it's the players out there, out there doing it. And so like, there has to be a, a lot of, um, I guess, uh, um, responsibility on the players to make sure, you know, give them a lot of responsibility to make sure that they are doing doing well, or trying to do it as well as they can, or, or making the right decisions under under um, under pressure. So I guess it's trying to put that uh, the players under pressure in a, in a training or in a friendly environment training um, environment. So is that you get used to that, and, and I think that's what uh, Steve and, and Wayne. That's what we did at the Scarlets, and, and I think, um, and hope and I'm sure that they'll be doing that um, in Wales. And look, it, it was it was you know especially. At Pro 12 season. It was it was a season that uh, like everything just clicked there, and and we played some good rugby, and it was a it was a you know a good environment to be in. It was a lot of fun that year, and and um, especially the back end of the year, and then it led into the next following year where we made the final again, but we also made it to the semi-finals of Europe. And unfortunately, in both of those occasions, we came up against a, a pretty good Lincs side that um, that dealt to us. So um, you know, it, it, I you know it was a good. 20 months or 24 months there for the Scarlets
0: that uh, we played some pretty good rugby. So I guess that I think that Leinster win has probably largely dictated a lot of what Wayne's carried on in the next couple of years because obviously you lost Tyke Byrne on the back of that and I think he sort of he, he sort of adjusted how he played with the Scarlets a little bit in terms of signings like Blake Thompson and and who's there like to sort of get bigger men out in the wide channels and you're sort of seeing that with Wales now. You're getting Alan jones and, and Toby... So I think, I think he, I think you remember him saying that, you know, that, that Leinster win particularly was one that sort of <laughs> changed a, a bit of his philosophy at the time.
1: I mean, yeah. And Leinster away, um, like it was tough to go to RDS at the best of times and so uh, to go there in the semi-final and the boys did us really well. Like defence that day, I think we went down to 14 men just before half-time too, where you got a red card. Um, and then, uh, and, but you know, it was a great effort, um, uh, just showed that we had a great team environment for a couple of seasons well, for that time there and Ty mate he, he was outstanding there for a couple of seasons unfortunately um, when he he went um, uh, John Barclay went back to Edinburgh as well and James Davies and uh, got injured and somebody else got injured and we lost all our t- we, we we weren't getting the turnovers that we were. We we're still getting a few turnovers, but not quite as many as we were. And um, but look, it's it's great to see Ty doing so well for Ireland now. Um, you know he, he's playing extremely well, which is um, which is good to see.
0: Have you spoken to Wayne much actually since since you've been over in Japan?
1: No, nah, look, he's, he's busy doing what he's doing, and, and, and we're busy doing our new experience too. So no, not not not. Not huge other that. fair enough. No, but I'm sure like um when we down the line a little bit and when we see each other at a bar or, or after a game at some stage, you know, you'll definitely have to catch up there. So um,
0: yeah. I'm Sam Walton, and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. So that was Hadley Parks. Of course, he left Wales after Pivak's maiden Six Nations to go make a new life for himself in Japan. But things didn't get much better for Pivac and Wales during the autumn. It was a tough autumn. Uh, Results not going the way as they looked to experiment with new faces and new talent. One of those such players was Callum Sheedy, the Bristol Bears fly half. He made his debut in the autumn, but it wasn't until the Six Nations that he really found his feet at test level, as did Wales under Pivak winning four of their five matches to win the title, with Sheedy playing a pivotal role and all five of them off the bench. We spoke to him to get his experiences of his first Six Nations campaign. and obviously this was, this was your first six nations how, how did you find it in in sort of how did how did the experience live up to sort of what you've oh, grown up watching
2: it was unbelievable like i it was honestly up there with with the best eight weeks that i've ever experienced in terms of just the amount i learned from everyone from snc to nutritionists to players how they live off the pitch to what they do on the pitches you know for me being in that environment like It was just, it was just incredible. Like I did have to pinch myself afterwards that it actually happened. And, you know, I think that the funny thing was in autumn when we weren't getting results, we probably weren't playing amazing. You know, everyone was writing us off, but like in training, we knew that we weren't actually too far off. Like we weren't a million miles away from clicking. And, you know, that few weeks we spent with each other, in autumn obviously helped us then. We blood a few new players, whatever, got to know the coaches better. And then Six Nations was just it was a breath fresh, fresh air, breath of fresh air for us. You know, we went from strength to strength and you know, our best game was probably France at the end, which we didn't get the result. But we definitely grew from game to game and from a personal, from a personal note, it was it was an unbelievable
0: experience. It's interesting that because I, I remember in the autumn, everyone's, you know, if you look on social media and there's all these, you know, rumors going around on social media, you know, unrest, mm-hmm. mutiny in the camp and all that. And it's yeah. it's hard for us to sort of see as the media because, you know, it's COVID now. So we can't exactly, we're not down the veil yeah. like twice a week for media, but it always felt to me like it just, it looked like a happy camp that just, you know, was going down a slightly yeah. different road to what everyone else thought they were going to go do that in the autumn. And it, it never felt yeah. like there was an unhappy sort of mood.
1: No.
2: There was never unrest. Like I I seen the reports and everything and I'm thinking I don't know what I don't know what camp they're on, but <laughs> if anything, we were too happy. Like it was it was a great camp. And you know, the the thing with the Welsh boys is you know what they're like, you know, we all have a laugh and a joke and we all absolutely rip pieces into each other. But you know, when we get on that pitch, we are tightly knit. And it's almost like with Welsh with Welsh teams, the more you write them off, the more they come on fighting. And you've seen that in the Six Nations, nobody would have give us a hope. Of finishing probably in the top three and then we go and win it so yeah like some of those games could have went either way but I definitely think that the, the culture we had in the, in the side and the togetherness definitely pulled us through a couple of those tight ones
0: I guess that's just sort of the nature of boomer bust Wales isn't it because I guess it just proves that you know test rugby is just decided by fine margins and and, and things are never as sort of definitive as they yeah. seem and just because the autumn wasn't as bad as it
2: no no and it was it I- there's such small margins, like you say, from being in a game to conceding a try to like, it's it's so hard to explain. But like some of those games in the autumn, if one thing goes our way and not the other way, it's 14 point swings. And it just felt like in the autumn, things weren't going our way. And in the Six Nations, we got to rub the green a few times, but, you know, that is international rugby. That's rugby as, as a whole. So... You know, when it's going well, you've got to take it. But, you know, at the same time, you, you can't get too down when you lose and you can't get too upbeat when you win because, you know, in international rugby games are, are literally decided on on very fine margins. And then, you know, heading into that England game,
0: it was sort of quite a familiar tale to sort of 2019 where, you know, the first two wins had been relatively scrappy. They got over the line and there's this two week sort of build up to England and then a big performance. What, what was the build up like? For that did you just feel like there was a big performance coming here, or, or, or what's it like in that sort of camp at that point? We, we knew one was
2: brewing, like in the fall week, I obviously came back to Bristol, so I missed a week there. But, um, yeah, like there was just that there was just a bit of a, a buzz. Obviously, Wales England will always have that buzz, but there was something special about that week, I remember it. And you know, we had a bit of bite about us in training, and um, it was probably our best training week, and you know, that gives you so much confidence going into the game. And England Wales doesn't get any bigger does it so you know whether there was crowds whether there was no crowds it definitely had that bit of bite definitely had that bit of edge like even driving in from the Vale to the, the Millennium Stadium and there was flags hanging out windows and stuff and I had goosebumps there and the boys were like wait till you see it when it's full and town's rammed and I'm thinking geez so yeah it just had that extra it had that extra bit of bite and um, we're fortunate that we got some great leaders in the side that you know they knew when to push the buttons on. Went to sort of roll the boys up, but they also know when to hold back and when to calm the boys down. So, you know, Alan Wynn especially is is the master at that, and, and that definitely helped us.
0: Obviously, for yourself in that two week follow, you went back to Bristol, and it was sort of a, the the beginning and end of a very short sort of story about your perceived goal kicking, uh, which, <laughs> which was very, very quickly unproven, wasn't it? <laughs> um, but what was it? What was it like goal kicking in in the empty Principality Stadium?
2: It oh, it's, it's brilliant! It's still, it's still, it is still the Principality Stadium, and it's still the the thing you see on the stadium you see on TV and dream of playing at. last time I would have played there would have been the uh, the what it was, the Jewish Shield and the 15s or Cardiff School, and um, and I kicked quite well at they actually. So maybe maybe the pitch is good for me, but um, no, like obviously I had a bit of a missed a couple against Scotland, but you know, what goalkeeper, what goal kicker doesn't miss a few. And yeah, it was, it was quite funny to see everyone on social media telling me I couldn't kick when I knew I'd been kicking at above 80% for Bristol for two and a half years. And I knew there was nothing to stress about. Jenks wasn't stressed. So I think the fans were more stressed than I was. And yeah, obviously it was nice to to kick a few against England just to sort of shut those doubters up, I guess. But (laughs) no, it was, it's all good. And, you know, I will miss a few, Every goal kicker will miss a few. But um, yeah, the biggest thing is you sort of don't dwell on those and don't let it affect your open
0: play. Because I, th- I think I read somewhere, it might have been in, in one of the English nationals, about Pat Lam once running a message down to you before big kick from a yeah. touchline. Was that was that like a premiership semi-final or final?
2: No, it was, we had we were playing extra. Um It was like the first time we were going to beat them away for years. And we just got to try to win 80th minute. We went 17, 14 up or something. We just want to get everyone's buzz in i at the kick. I'm thinking, oh, whatever. Like, and Pat <laughs> sends a message down. We need these two points to go top of the table on points difference. And then as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, right, focus. <laughs> no celebrating anymore. And yeah, it's just sort of a little bit of added pressure. Like, I think Pat said it to sort of, make me experience that pressure kick as well. Cause you know, Pat's great in terms of getting the best out to you and yeah, no, it worked. It sort of trained me for those pressure moments and no, I enjoy it when there's a bit of pressure on the kick. And you know, when he said that, I was definitely in the zone.
0: Cause once I heard that story, I, I never really had much doubt that you, you could sort of deal with the pressure kick into so the Scotland one always felt like a bit of an anom- anomaly. Yeah, um, yeah. It did surprise me though, how like the stadium seemed silent with no fans in there until it gets to goal kicking and then you remember what real silence is like even in an empty stadium. Oh, it's mad, isn't it? Like, they, this, it's quiet when there's no fans but then when you
2: line up a goal kick it is like silence. Like, I wouldn't mind someone just speaking <laughs> just to break the ice a little bit. But it's always good like when you get a kick and you hear Jenks in the background give it the old scream that's when you know you've done a good job. Like, so, um, you're going to hear extra special now when there's no crowds Oh,
0: uh, exactly. Um, how have you found working underway? And obviously this second campaign working un- underway. And um, you're working with Pat Lamb at Bristol, so you, you know, you you had a pretty good run of of yeah. coaches. But how are you finding him? Because you know, I've heard sort of players talk. I think Patchel spoke about him during the Six Nations and then in, in sort of how he he likes to give players responsibility and you see that out on the pitch, especially in those key moments late on, it's their decision making. And I guess coming on as a fly half for those sort of final few moments that yeah that falls on your shoulders maybe more than most. So how, how are you finding that?
2: Yeah, no, well, Wayne's been great. <clears throat> Wayne was great in the autumn um, with me personally, but with, with all the boys, obviously there was a lot of new boys coming in. So that was that was tough for him to try and blood everyone. But no, like like uh, Patch said, he does give boys responsibilities and he's not a coach that's going to spoon feed you. Um, he expects you to make those decisions. And, you know, like he's obviously he wants to install an attacking game and that's why Steven's there. And that's what he done with the Scarlets, et cetera. But obviously you have to have that balance in international rugby, And I think, you know, this campaign, especially we had that balance. We did that balance really well. Like Wayne will always encourage us if it's on go, but also be smart. And yeah, he'll always sort of back us to make our decisions. And if we can give a reason why we've made that decisions, then he'll back us hundred percent. And, you know, as a fly half, especially to have that confidence and have that trust,
0: it is massive. And what about Steven Jones? What's he, what's he been like? Cause I guess you, you probably grew up watching him.
2: Yeah, no, I did. Yeah. And I, re- <laughs> I remember, you know, he was like, he was unreal when I was growing up and sort of working under myself. I do have to kind of look at him and think, oh, Steve, Steven Stephen Jones?
0: <laughs> this is what you say the uh, later years of his career. <laughs> yeah.
2: But no, he's Steven's his energy on the pitch is, is unbelievable. He's, I think he could still play. He's so energetic. He's, you know, he's so passionate about what he does. And like we spoke earlier about getting sort of tens in motion. He's all about getting players in motion, making sure everyone's a threat, making sure we're eyes upon the defence. Um, not too dissimilar to, to how we are here in terms of the way we attack. We're always eyes up and scanning stuff. And it was quite easy to work. Well, it is very easy to work under Stephen because he's he's so simple in terms of similar to Wayne. He'll always back your decision as long as you have a reason why you made that decision. It's, he doesn't want sort of just playing for playing's sake or I did this because this is what we said we'd do. It's always how the defence sets up and what the best options are to take. And I've learned loads from him, especially like we said about earlier with, with me and Biggs taking the ball in motion and being a threat. That was something massive, which which we worked on throughout the campaign.
0: And is he, has he sort of brought any set plays from his playing days for you to, to get stuck into? Because I noticed that Dan seems to be running a lot of sort of uh, loop plays, which yeah, are no. almost identical to like 2003 World Cup ones that Stephen was running. <laughs>
2: I don't know who brought him in, whether it was Steven or Dan, I'm sure they'll both take the credit, but <laughs> no. And yeah, we, we have, we have our set plays and whatever. And, and Steven's obviously a big influence in that, but you know, our set plays will differ on sort of the defenses we're facing each week. We'll have a new set play for week by week or whatever, but yeah, I'm sure Biggs will take the credit, but I'm sure Steven's doing the work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that Sounds very right. Um, Obviously, I guess what made the six nations like different this year compared to most, and you know, it's, it's an interesting one to come into for you first, is the fact that it was all taking place during coronavirus. So most of the boys were, were stuck in camp yeah, for the majority. You, 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 were sort of, you had that respite of going back to Bristol every now and then to play, but what, what was that like? I guess, um, darts and pool became sort of yeah. popular in camp.
2: Yeah, no, it's a tough one to explain because when you say to someone that you're stuck in camp for like two, three weeks, it sounds horrible and it sounds almost like prison-like, but, you know, there's worse places you could be stuck than the Vale Hotel. Like you, you've you been there, you know what it's like, it's, it's perfect. So no, like it just meant that we sort of spent more time together as a team and, you know, it was actually really enjoyable. Like I lived every minute of camp and, you know, you do the hard work and training, but what the beauty about what we did was we'd work really hard in training. It would be intense. It would be tough. Then as soon as we were off the pitch and we were in the evenings and wherever, like you said, we'd be having pool games, having darts games, whatever it was just to sort of bring that camaraderie, bring that culture. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, when it comes to those Scotland's and those islands where you've got to get over the line by not playing pretty, that's where you sort of look at your culture and look how tight you are as a group. And, you know, having those evenings together, stuck in camp where we're sat around playing cards, whatever it is, having a game of darts, Those are sort of friendships you build. Then when you're on the pitch, you look next to you and you think, right, he's got my back, he's got my back. And you have that confidence that you're going to get over the line. And yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of the camp and sort of being stuck in the hotel for three weeks doesn't do it justice because it was a lot better than what it sounds.
0: I mean, I guess there was no other guests there. So it's probably like having your own... Mansion. Exactly, yeah. Probably just run around the corridors.
2: It was brilliant. Yeah, no, it was... (laughs) Can't complain, can you? Being stuck in the veil for three weeks, like I wouldn't mind that. I, I wouldn't mind doing that again.
0: um Were you a part of the the, the now famous? Was it Coffee Club or whatever? Covid caf. Covid caf. That's it. So yeah, we to, it.
2: Yeah, no, we, we'd have that on the, the days off. So uh, Foxy and George had sorted out all uh, the the logistical side, and yeah, we'd go and and get our coffee and pastries and whatever and no it was it was, again something like that would sound so probably boring to people like oh it sounds rubbish but honestly it was like it was like unreal like boys are like dressing up putting their aftershave on to go to covid cat.
0: <laughs> and we thought we were going to revs or something it was brilliant <laughs> like it was dan dan's wife was providing the some yeah
2: bakes. yeah yeah we had the, the bigger bakes and she does like these these cookie cake things don't tell a nutritionist because I think I was probably my my skinny's are a bit high for them, but no, they were unbelievable. And yeah, it was such a morale booster to have a coffee and a bigger bake. Like that was what, what the boys were waiting for all week.
0: I feel like that's all whenever I speak to boys from campus, all they ever talk about is, is the food in camp. Like I know that Dan Dan Lydia didn't he stayed an extra night after he did his after did his knee just to have an extra Sunday lunch.
2: Honestly, Andre our chef has got to be up there. Like that was we'd finish training we'd all be absolutely cooked but knowing it was like Japanese night or something we'd be like oh my god I can get up <laughs> for a katsu curry and some sushi like yeah Andre was absolutely on fire I think he was man of the series for us
0: yeah I guess going back to the the the, the coffee I guess the only problem is trying to work out who's coffee to to use because I feel like every other Welsh rugby player at the minute has got <laughs> coffee and then got Dylan, have got, we got built on. we got Dylan Lewis's back
2: Dragon coffee we've got this other car I was like I'll just take what I'm given because I'm not taking any sides.
0: <laughs> Shane and Hooky are probably still loitering around. Yeah, them, yeah. No, no. <laughs>
2: um,
0: I guess if you had to sort of pinpoint just one one thing that was the success of the Six Nations, where what would you sort of say that that was?
2: Um, it's tough to sort of pinpoint one area. Um, like we sort of in the autumn, we were probably we let ourselves down on, in, term, in terms of accuracy. Like we probably coughed the ball too easy. Um, we weren't xed sufficiently. And then just little fixes like going through phases, building phases, X'd in well. It's little things like that in international games, which find your feet, find your way in games. Our discipline was was pretty good on the whole. We weren't sort of giving away needless cards, etc. I know obviously in the French game towards the last 10 minutes, that's what did let us down in the end. But you know, on the whole in Six Nations, our discipline was pretty good. We weren't giving teams easy ins. So it is really hard to sort of pinpoint one thing. We probably just added 10% of our game in all aspects. And I know that's probably a sitting on the fence answer, but, you know, like I said earlier, in international games, you need to exit well. Your set piece needs to be firing. You need to be well-disciplined. You need to be clean with the ball. You need to be accurate. And, you know, you look at all those areas and we were probably, you know, not far off, you know, high 90% in all of them. So, yeah, no, we were happy with the way we improved from the autumn and, like I said, all those little aspects definitely helped.
0: Talk about international coaching. And, and I think Wayne said in the autumn, it's like, it's basically, you know, every week there's a different hole in the bucket and you've got to fix that. Yeah. How, how I guess during the six nations, it's quite nice because there's consistency in selection, but I guess in the autumn when it was a largely a different team each week, it does make it more difficult, doesn't it? To sort of, to sort of see those cool. improvements week on week.
2: It, it is tough because like you said, you, you have a new personnel in, um, you're playing against completely different sides who like like I haven't played a lot of us haven't played Georgia a hell of a lot to go to then Georgia to England to Italy it, like it is tough but you can't sort of make that as an excuse because in the autumn you know we weren't there in terms of accuracy in, in the games and you know we we can't sort of keep using the excuse that you know we were trialing players and whatever because you know we'll admit we, we weren't great in the autumn and you know that's what, what makes this campaign so pleasing is that yet yeah, there was con- continuity in selection. But then you look at the Scotland game and you know pretty much the whole backline was changed like you know with, with injuries and whatever. So, you know, we want to be a side that whoever steps in does the job. And, you know, autumn was a stepping stone. Six Nations is another stepping stone. And hopefully now summer games, autumn games, we can build on it again.
0: Uh, fine. So what was it like that last, after the sort of the France game? Because it was, obviously to lose out on the, the Grand Slam is yeah, yeah. devastating. Yeah. But normally in those situations, you'd at least know what's happened
1: in the six That was
2: the the killer, like because the carrot was still dangling there that we could (laughs) win a championship. But in all our heads, we were convinced that it had no chance. And yeah, just the way we lost, it was, you know, it was heartbreaking and I didn't sleep for days. Like I was fortunate, unfortunate that I had drug testing straight after the the whistle. So kind of took my mind off it for 10 minutes and I had to focus on weeing in a bottle rather than what had just happened. So no, like, obviously it was, it was so tough. Like, I think the biggest thing which hit home for me was seeing the experienced boys, like your Alan Wins, your Foxies, your Bigsies, like how much that hurt them. Your Falatows, like it it was a killer. Like for me, seeing them so gutted and, and crushed was, was tough. And then not knowing whether, you know, have we won the championship or we not? That would never happen on a usual Six Nations. So yeah, it was bizarre. It was a bizarre week. And then the whole week then I was preparing for a game of Bristol, which was my full focus. But then sort of when I was going to bed, I was half thinking about France Scotland and oh yeah, it was it was bizarre. And I'm just so happy that it came out. Like watching that France Scotland game, I don't think I've ever had a less enjoyable eighty minutes in my life. I was sweating. It was oh it was vile. It was vile.
0: where, where were you watching
2: it? I was in bed at the time because we oh had a game. We had a game at two o'clock the next a, day. Yeah, because so it had was, 100 was, a
0: hundred game, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: And I was in my head before the game. I was like, right, I'm not getting emotionally invested. I, I might not even watch it. All right, the build up's on. I'm watching the build up, and my my, my palms are sweating. I'm thinking, oh my god. And next thing you know, my remote flying across the room when when Scotland knocked it on. My pillow slapping my pillow, and oh no, it was. Uh, <laughs> there was a lineup they stole just before halftime it was massive. Because you know, if France gets seven points there, it's a different game. So, my good friend Adam Hastings, I messaged him before the game and I said, "Please do us a job." And he ended up chucking a winning pass. So, yeah, I texted him afterwards and said, "I owe you a few points." So, um, no, I was, I was chuffed there.
0: Yeah, it must have been the weird one because obviously all, all the other boys were sort of back at the veil for the yeah for the trophy <laughs> yeah, presentation. Well,
2: yeah, like I, I was, I was obviously you know, it was obviously gutting not to be there, but. You know, I was really proud to have my hundredth game here for Bristol, and you know, I wouldn't change that for the world because you know this club obviously means so much to me. So, yeah, it was like bittersweet. Obviously, I'd, I'd come off the pitch, and we ended up winning, which was great. And then seeing all the pictures of the boys with the medals and buzzing—that was great as well. Just hopefully they can Photoshop me in them wins and then I'll be happy.
0: <laughs> sure, they'll find somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, finally, I guess. You know, what's the if you had to pick one, what, what's the over, overriding memory for you from this? From this campaign, what's the one point that sticks out?
2: I think the the high after the game of the Triple Crown, um, because that was my first taste of silverware in an international environment and first taste of obviously beating England, etc. But yeah, having that silverware there and you know, when we're all in the huddle and the silverware's in the middle and Alan Wynn's doing his speech, I'll always remember that feeling and I'll always remember like the goosebumps and just the pride you feel. Um and it just sort of makes you so much more hungry to win more like it's weird you always think oh I want to win this and then I'll be happy or I'll win a Six Nations and then I'll be happy but you know winning the Triple Crown winning the Six Nations just makes you want a Grand Slam makes you want a World Cup like it just yeah the hunger's building in me personally and I'm sure the squad are the same so yeah for me the Triple Crown that feeling in the change rooms afterwards was was
0: the highlight for me because it's interesting after that match I remember seeing headlines you know like this is the moment that Callum Sheedy arrived on the international stage but I guess falling on from that you don't see it like that do you there's no there's no one point, is there? This is
2: no, a constant yeah. thing. Like that was obviously a uh, a game where I was kicking the goals. So I took a bit of the credit for the other boys work, but you know, it's, for me, it, it. I wouldn't, I honestly don't care if no one speaks about me after a game, I couldn't care less. As long as I know I've given my everything and I know I've helped the team and and we get the win, that's the biggest thing. But yeah, it was obviously everyone was saying, I've arrived and all this rubbish, but no, the biggest thing for that was we got the win and we got the triple crown and and the feeling afterwards, like I said, was, was so special.
0: I think you got you got player of the round as well, didn't you? I did vote
2: a few times, I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Corey Hill definitely wasn't voting. No, he was.
2: I think he, for, he was voting for the French Bears, I think.
0: <laughs> oh, fantastic, mate! Um, brilliant. Legend.